Kids are dismissed to the classes prepared for you. And as they're going, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 10, 11, and 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Holy Father, quiet our hearts from a week of whether it's getting ready for school or it's getting ready for the fall and all the things that are coming at us as the month of August moves into September. There's so many things that can distract us, so many things that can cause our minds and our hearts to be focused on things that are, seem important for the moment, but in the picture of eternity are just but a vapor. So help us to fix our eyes on you. We desperately need you. Without you, we are nothing. And as today, as we open your word and as we see what Peter has to say about what David had to say about a time that was going on in his life, and we just sang the words as these saints are lining the ways that we walk, reminding us of the triumphs of who you are. May our eyes again be riveted on you and you alone. For your glory, in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what motivates you? Like when you think you wake up in the morning and you're laying there in bed, what motivates you to get out of bed? Sometimes in the winter it can be a little bit harder as the bed is warm and outside is cold and you're like, I have no motivation whatsoever to get out. That's why some of us have to put our alarm clocks on the other side of the room so the annoying sound will eventually get us to get out of bed. What gets your juices flowing? You know, when something happens, what are you looking forward to? We could say it another way. Some of us in the month of November will be motivated for the possibility of maybe shooting a buck. So we will sit hours upon hours outside in very cold temperature wondering, will I get feeling back in my toes or not when I go inside? And then in our minds, we all think just when I go inside, that's when the animal is coming by. And so the motivation is just to stay out there and suffer and suffer and suffer. Some of us, it's because of a song we sing. Or you hear a song and all of a sudden before you know it, your toes tapping and you're motivated. If you ever want to watch The Power of Music with Little Kids, put on a song. And all of a sudden they're running around and you could say, why are you running around? I don't know, just the music was, you know, here we go. And there's movement, there's running. But when we think about biblical motivation, it's interesting. The logic that the Bible uses for why you do something or why you don't. Because what we've been seeing here in verses 8 through 12, we've been, Peter's literally reminding us that your call to salvation is not only just a call from death to life, but literally a way of living. That if you're going to call yourself a Christian, there's a way of living that comes with the salvation. That comes with as the Spirit opens your eyes to see the need of a Savior, that same Spirit that is going to work in you to cause you to live in such a way that you will claim the name of Christ, and live accordingly. It's interesting, though, as we look at the context of what we've been looking at, verses 8 through 12, which will be kind of summarizing this. Peter here is reminding us, remember, guys, finally, brethren, he says, here's a list of things to stay focused on. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. That's verse 8. Then again, he reiterates what he talked about in chapter 2. In the 20s there, he's saying, remember, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, he says, bless. And then he talks about, for to this you've been called to obtain a blessing. And then 
he goes right into a psalm. And this psalm here that he is quoting is actually Psalm 34. But let's read the psalm that he's quoting, and then we'll begin our little journey through the Bible. So the text says this, For whoever desires to live life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if we're going to figure out why this text is here, what is Peter trying to do? We need to turn back to where he's quoting it from. So let's go back to Psalm 34. And as you turn back to Psalm 34, give you a moment to get there. Psalm 34, again, if you're looking for it, is in between 33 and 35. So Psalm 34. David here is writing this, and as he's writing it, you need to ask why and where is David when he's writing Psalm 34. And some of your Bibles may literally give you in the heading there at verse 30, chapter 1, I mean, chapter 34, verse 1, it says, David was writing this when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, and so that he drove him out and he went away. And this is a Psalm of David, as some may have, when he wrote during his time in a cave or something of this. And so in order to figure out what Psalm 34 is talking about, we've got to go back to David and his journey. So we're going to go back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 21, and again, for you looking for it, I won't tell you what 1 Samuel 21 is between, but you can find that on your own. 1 Samuel 21, and we're going to give you the context of what's going on here. 1 Samuel 21, uh, to give you a little bit of the context here again, remember David is anointed king, Saul's king at the time, and so you're Samuel's, I mean, Samuel tells David you're going to be the future king, Saul is king at the moment. God has removed his blessing from Saul. Now it's going to be David that is going to be king. David kills Goliath. He's kind of like the top dog. People are singing songs about him, about how great David is compared to Saul. And before you know it, Saul, the anger that, is, that Saul is dealing with is continually getting more and more cranked up to the point where David and Jonathan, who are really good friends, are going, hey, David, you probably might want to stay away from the house here. And David's like, well, let me know how this is going. Remember, and they shoot the arrow to tell him that, hey, David, you need to get on your run because my dad's going to kill you. So David is on the run. And as he's on the run, he is running to different places looking for help. He's, it gets to the point where he's going, there's not too many people around him, but just David and a group of very small, faithful guys that have been with him. And he gets to the point where things are so bad in chapter 21 that he literally is going to flee to the enemy. The enemy were the Philistines that were by them, and he literally, in verse, nine, verse sorry, 10, he goes to a, the king of Gath. And the king of Gath, Gath was the same place that, that um, Goliath came from. And so when David goes in there, they know David because a couple of guys are going to go, hey, while David's hiding out, isn't that the guy that like, took down Goliath? And so what David does to disguise him himself is this really David is not he starts acting like a madman his he lets drool run down and he starts acting like he's crazy and the king then when these guys come and say I think that's David who killed Goliath the king looks at him and says I've got enough crazy people here there's no way that's David David then flees from the area because he realizes it's only a matter of time before things are happening here and David's off on the run again so 
you, if you want to know where David is, he's at the lowest of lows of lows upon lows. He literally gets to a cave, and at the end of chapter 22, at the, sorry, the beginning of chapter 22 here in those four verses, listen to who joins him. So tw- chapter 22, verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his fathers heard of it, they went down there. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. I mean, that sounds like a great group of people, right? Mom and dad came, right? But who else is coming? Everybody owes money and everybody else is kind of down. All right, so this would be, it's not even close to a team that you would say, this is a group of guys that is going to lead David to victory in any way, shape, or form, or going to protect David. And he became captain over them. And there was about 400 men. And while he's sitting in this cave, he pens Psalm 34. So let's go back to Psalm 34. So this is at the lowest upon lows. And it's interesting how he starts off. Verse number one. We're going to read the whole thing, by the way. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who lack fear have no for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. O come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflicted of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, but none of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Interesting when that was penned. Now, I have never lived in a cave, all right? But if I ever had to live in a cave, I'm probably not saying I am living the high life in any way, shape, or form, all right? That to even call that what David's saying, that you know, you want to have great days? You want to be in a cave with people trying to kill you? I mean, this is where he's writing from, and he's writing these words. And so what I want to do, either you can stay in Psalm 34, because we're literally handling the same text, but I'm turning back to 1 Peter 3, looking at verses 10 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 3 here again, David brings this up. And so we have to ask ourselves as we're studying this, all right, what, what point is he making? Because as a, as a, of a student of the Bible, these songs have meaning to them, all right? They have background to them. They have words behind them and and attitudes and actions when these things are being written. And so let's go down through David's, I mean David, sorry, Peter's flow here of his argument. 
So verse 9, don't repay evil for evil, right? Or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. You've been called to live a... You've been called to this, this way of living in such a way that you're blessing others in order to attain a blessing. And then in verse 10, he goes on and basically says this. You want to live a good life? You want to have good days? Here's what you do. And then he goes down. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking lies. Turn away from evil, pursue peace. And then verse 12 gives us the reason why, the motivation for this. He goes, because... The eye of the Lord is on the righteous. He hears their prayers. And God is literally against those who do evil. This is his flow here as he's walking down through the passage. And so what I want to do is I'm going to bring out two points. We're not going to go on a rabbit trail in a second because it's a planned rabbit trail. So we're going to have two points of the sermon here and one middle one to kind of summarize some things. So when we think of this, literally David, David here is saying, and Peter is reminding, if you want to have a, a life of blessing... This is what a life of blessing looks like. If you want to have a good life, because there's so many people that say, let's think about what a good life would be. Most of us, when we grow up, because we live in an American culture, there's a good life that's being pushed on you. If you want to have a good life, this is what you're going to have. If you want to arrive, you know, you haven't arrived until you have, and we can fill in the blank. And all of these things that are there, and statistics will prove to you, here's how you live the good life, and all of these things are coming at you, but the Bible is not going to give any of these things that the American dream is telling you is to live the good life. And so let's take a moment here and look at what does a life of blessing look like? Because there's going to be a great aha moment, I hope, and I pray at the end of what a life of blessing looks like for a believer. So the text here literally gives us six if we want to call it ways or things, that a, to enjoy life or to see good days, these are the things literally the text is telling us. You want to live a good life, you want to have good days, here's what they are. So let's just break them down. Number one, the idea of keeping your tongue from evil. That's literally what you say. All right, This is something that comes out of your mouth. A way I would argue the Bible even tells us, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Next, it says, keep your lips from speaking lies. This is the idea of deceiving people. Next, we're going to see, you're to turn from evil. What we see here is not just avoiding evil. It's not just the idea that I'm just going to not go that way. There's literally is an act of the, the will of turning away from evil. But what are we turning away from? We're turning away from evil, but towards what? Christ, okay? And so we have to go, so how does this happen? And then... We also, as Peter is going down through this, he then turns the corner and turn away from evil and actually do good. And so I want to look at what Peter's talking about here. So what's, what does all this look like? So 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Peter reminds us, he himself, this is speaking of Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, we have been healed. And so what Peter is reminding us of there is our unity with Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are followers of God, you are dead to sin and literally made alive to righteousness. And what is this righteousness you've been made alive to? This righteousness you made alive to is a life that Peter's going to go on and remind us again a couple pages back in 1 Peter 18, 19. This is a life that is knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. And so what he's saying here is this is what you've been redeemed from. 
your old futile ways of thinking, your old futile ways of living, all of these things that would destroy you. We're, we're going to destroy you. You were on your way to eternal destruction away from God, but Christ came and he redeemed and saved. And because of your redeemed and saved life, now this is the way you live. And you go, so is this now a checklist? Do I wake up every morning and go, all right, I want to have the best life I can possibly have, and I go down through the checklist? Well, Paul helps us with that, just in case if you're a checklist person. Philippians 2.13 reminds us that he's working in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so what happens is as you are united with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to cause your will and your mind and your heart to desire these things. So these things are going to be something that comes naturally to a believer. As the Spirit comes in and does His work in your life, all of a sudden, the Spirit starts to cause you to seek peace, to pursue after peace, which is the exact opposite of what Peter was talking about in 9. Because remember, he says, if you're a follower of Christ, you don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. What do you do? You pursue peace. You seek peace. Well, why do you do that? Because you have literally been changed to the very core by the Holy Spirit that now is causing you to go after things that you would not normally go after, to do things you would not normally have done in your sinful state. Now all of a sudden you are marked, you are almost set apart, literally the idea of holiness, set apart to go and do and be something that you would not have normally been on your own. And this is why by the very definition of being a father of Christ, you will be unique. You have to stick out if you're a father of Christ. There is no other option. And this is why the question that is in front of us all the time is this. If I am pursuing after the things of God, what does that look like and how does that play out? And we're going to spend some time digging through this because remember, we, we love to be checklist people. At least I love to be a checklist person. Maybe you're not and I don't know how you get through life, all right? If you're just not knowing what you're doing that day, if you wake up and just go, yep, today. All right, um, I, I just, I don't envy that, but I just go, how do you do it, all right? But... But what happens then is it starts to play out in our own mind, in our own heart, that we say, okay, because we're about ready, I'm kind of hopping to the end here. We're going to sing a song at the end. It's like, take time to be holy. And the moment you're singing that song, it's going to feel like you're given a list, like we're singing a list. And all of you list people are like, oh, spend time with God's children, check. Help those who are weak. Oh, check. I checked that one off. And all of a sudden, you are not even close to being plugged into the power and the strength that these things will just naturally happen. You start going ahead and do it in your own strength. And I would say what Paul says, those are filthy rags. They're not done in the strength that God supplied. So we look at these last two things. Seek peace. When the Holy Spirit empowers you, you are literally looking for ways to bring about peace, which is, is mind-boggling because one of the things that is interesting that we all like to do is we all like to avenge our own issues. We all like to go, you know what, that happened to me, I'm going after him. But a believer actually seeks peace. And not only that, the psalmist goes on to say, and interesting, when's David writing this? Someone is out trying to kill him, and he knows that guy's wrong, Right? Like, I'm going to be, God said I'm going to be the next king. This guy's a sinner trying to kill me. And David's talking about seeking peace and even pursuing it, going hard after it. Because I can guarantee you, if one of you had someone who was literally out to kill you and you had a chance to take them out, you would say, God in his sovereignty has given me an opportunity to take them out. And here we go. But David 
time after time after time had opportunities to kill Saul. But what did he say? That's the Lord's anointed. I'm not touching him. God will remove him when God removes him. Do we think that way? Do we go, you know what, that's someone that has been placed in authority by God. When it's time for them to be removed out of authority, it will be done. And now I really trust God. Because isn't this what Peter's been pounding us all the lot? Remember when you're spouse is not treating you properly and all the hard parts, what do we do? Through a quiet and gentle spirit, because why? We trust God. And when you have issues going around you, do I really trust God for this or do I go, vengeance is Tim's, I will repay, says Tim, you know? We love to do that because we think that at the end of the day, I know better than God. That's what you're saying when you go, I got this God, vengeance is mine. It's interesting here, the logic of what we're seeing here is if you want to live good days, you want to love life, here's how you live. But I want to take a moment here. Here's the, if we want to call it the rabbit trail before we get back into the text. David here is writing, and then Peter writes copying what David had said, and it's a song. Okay, so... Peter's writing, talking about this and something that he, as he was writing, as he's being moved by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings to mind a song. A song, remember the Psalms were songs that they sung. David is singing this song. We don't know the beat of them. We don't know what it sounded like, but we have the words. I would give you, there's a reason for that. All right. And so, because I will give you why, I'll give you my reason why. All right. The little side trail. Because if we had the beat of these songs, you know what we'd all become? These songs are the only beat we can sing any song to, and every other beat is evil and unsacred and everything else. And for some reason, God in his sovereignty said, you don't need to know the beat of these songs. So back to the trail here. Music. A life of worship. Because what does David do in the cave? What is David doing when literally people are out to get him and the world is craving in? How has he started off? My heart goes after God. I praise you. In the middle of this, because here's the thing, it is easy to praise when things are going well, but literally the heart is exposed when things are not going well, when things are right in front of you and you've had this break after this break after this break, literally the heart now is going, here's you want to find out how you really, really, really think, listen to your heart in those moments. That's the real you. Because when everything's going well, and as you want to call it, all the roads are rising to meet you, and when you hear yourself then, that is not you, that is just, you're just, your circumstances are impacting you. But at the very bottom, at the very core, when you are struck by blow after blow after blow from Almighty God, what comes out of you is the real you. One of my... One of my favorite books is The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. And he would always say it's incredibly interesting to find out if someone is content or not, strike them, and listen to what comes out of them. Because complaining, murmuring, all these other things. I mean, listen to the Israelite people. You were taken from slavery. You have been given food. You have... You're not even taken from slavery, but the people that were going to come back and reslave you have been destroyed. You were on your way to the promised land. And what are you complaining about? Over and over and over and over again. And you know how God, when he talks and looks back at the Israelite people, 
and how he uses the word of their murmuring and complaining. He literally calls it rebellion. So, let's go back to our music here. The power of words. The power of words set to music. So the question in front of us, when we think about living a life of worship, and worship is not just music. Worship is everything we do. But many times, as we are continually praising and keeping our eyes on God, it will spill forth into song. But song is just one slim aspect of worship. So what is shaping and influencing your thinking? What is shaping and influencing the way you you live? What are those things that are shaping you? It's amazing because we all know that the powers that be that continue to bombard us with image after image of what we, ever, what we want to believe. Just taking a little snidbit of the, the way we are being shaped right now. We are being shaped by political ads. Because remember, it's not just vote for me because I'm better. It's don't vote for that guy because he literally wants to kill you. All right, that's how like we're political ads, because if you vote for this guy, you're going to die. If you vote for me, you're going to live. I mean, we might as well just summarize that, all right? Because this guy hates you, this guy loves you, and we're being influenced by all of these things. And so depending on if you really believe it or not, before you know it, you really do believe that someone's out to kill you if you don't vote for them. And so we are continually being influenced by it. Even the music that is being played at the end of that ad that you may not even realize Put a half-starved dog on TV and put some sad music. Before you know it, you all just start handing over dollar bills. Music is a very powerful tool and impacts you. Music and songs mold and shape you. What are the songs and the music that is molding and shaping you? Peter here and David are using these, these songs here to mold and to shape their thinking. As, they, as David sings this, as Peter, has he most likely as a kid learned these things? These are the things that are molding and shaping him. Literally, they come out in his writings. And so my question is this. There's a couple just little tidbits because I really do believe this is a phenomenal spiritual skill that is to be learned, is the power of music to help you in your spiritual walk. The Bible is clear on this. I'm not going to go down a whole long journey on all these things, but a couple of things that I just a little... Tidbits to take, us, take away here. I want you to listen to the words, not the beat, when you are listening to Christian music. Take a moment and actually read the words because the catchy beats will get you and have you... I mean, there's some, I would even say, horrific songs that are saying absolutely nothing, but just because there's a catchy beat, we all just start going along with it. And you're like, did anybody even understand what that means? I mean, if you really want to have ruin 90% of your life, you can just start looking up lyrics of secular songs and what they're singing, and you will just, you'll never want to listen to another secular song ever again, because you're like, oh, I didn't know that's what I was singing. All right, let alone now we get into the music industry and the Christian music industry, that we go, stop people and listen, because what they are singing about impacts you. All right, what they are pumping at you impacts the way you think, and even the way you understand what praise is. If you're listening to music that has more I in it than God, guess what you're singing to? Yourself. But what we don't do is we don't renew our minds and filter. We just think just because it's on a trusted radio station, it must be okay because it must be okay, right? So what do we do? We need to read the Bible. We need to listen to the Word of God. We need to be people that are in the Word of God. And then from that spot, 
look for songs that reinforce what was being what I just read. What are the songs that are going to reinforce that that I have just read? And that's done by three there. You're going to see by the renewing of your mind. And it's done through the word of God. And then what the song is to do is to reinforce what you just read. But what happens is, because we aren't people that read the word of God, we're, we like to do the reverse. We like to see some catchy song. And then what we do is, because it's a catchy song, I love when we go, well, it's not that bad. And we, use, we think that music is going to somehow drive us into the word of God when music is an expression of a walk with God that is played out. All music does, it's like literally me, me, me describing to you the Grand Canyon and thinking that you were there. No, all I'm doing is describing. If you really want to know what the Grand Canyon is like, you need to show up at the Grand Canyon. And then from that, then we can connect. Because music is an expression of what the Word of God is doing in your heart and your mind. And so then we have to ask ourselves, why do we do this corporately? Like, there's not too many places outside of maybe even the sports world that they get together and they sing songs. But we sing a whole lot of songs here. Why do we sing this corporately? Because it unifies us in one voice. It brings us together in one voice proclaiming what we as a church should be proclaiming throughout our week. We do this now individually throughout the week and then we do it corporately together in church. It also gives us a common language of praise. It helps us have words that because some of us are not poetic. Some of I am not at all. I don't even understand poetry. Why don't you just say it normal? All right. And you have all this poetic language that is there that helps us who are not poetic to be able to put together and to be able to exclaim out loud these truths. What music does too, it implants truth into our thoughts, into our emotions. Here's, know what I'm, notice what I'm saying. Our emotions and thoughts do not give us truth. Right? Truth impacts our emotions and our thoughts. But what happens is we live in such an emotional society. We live in such a society that is just driven by emotion that if we're not careful, we don't even care if this is anchored in. Because you know what? You know how the song makes me feel? I'm like, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't care. I want to know what the words of the Word of God say to you and these promises that he has given you and these rebukes that he has given you that the Holy Spirit is using. And one of the most beautiful things when we do this corporately, it gives us a taste of eternal life. When we around the throne of God, praise him. So I wanted to remind you that music is a phenomenal weapon in the fight of faith and, and I would argue that Satan knows it. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Now, none of you would want to storm the beaches of Normandy with a BB gun and think you were going to do it, think you're going to have success. So why is it that we go to the nickel and dime store of really catchy beats and think that when I pick up the weapon of music that a nickel and dime song is going to carry me? I always find it very interesting when you go to funerals and you listen to songs that carry people. I've very rarely heard some really nickel and dime songs at funerals of people that are followers of God. There's robust theology and teaching because these are the things that will carry us. Because remember, music is an expression of the word of God dwelling in the heart. Music is powerful. I would encourage you as a church, wake up, look around you, 
see what's impacting you, see the things that are going on around us. Just because it says Christian on the label does not mean it is God honoring, God exalting. Remember, we live in a day and age where there's a whole industry that is trying to pump to you songs and things like that that I would say, please beware. Parents, just because it says Christian on it or the artist has a cross on them does not mean they're a Christian. Remember, the Christian world has a lot of money. And all of a sudden, we have these people that literally go, I throw a cross on it, and everybody thinks I'm a Christian. Beware, 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 because what we're seeing here, if, if this is the only lesson you see, is the power of music, the power of, of good, godly words that are being played out here for us to remember. Because in final here, what Peter is talking about, what David is talking about, is a life of obedience. When he says, you want to live a good life, you want to love life, obey. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking lies. If you want to live a good life, obey. Turn away from evil and do good. If you want to give a, live a good life, literally obey. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those who are obedient. And he listens to their prayer. But the face of the, the Lord is against those who do evil. And if you want to say it, at the very basis of it is literally telling us that a life of obedience... There's a blessing to it, a life of evil. The Lord literally is against them. I mean, at the very root of it, and you have to go, so then what does that look like then? How does one live a life of obedience? Because true lasting joy is found in a life of obedience. So now the question is this. Because this idea of evil, how does evil impact even living a life of obedience? Well, evil comes in just like it did in the garden. And it came into the garden with a simple question where the serpent, the embodiment of evil there, literally looks at Eve and says, did God really say? Does God really know best? Is His way really best? Because if we truly do believe to live a good life and to live a life of blessing, it literally can only come from the idea that we truly do believe that God is holy and what He does is wise and what He does is good. So His ways are then good and wise and holy for us to follow. But if we say, no, I don't really know, did he really mean it this way? One of the things that's just mind-boggling to me, as you look at the world and as they attack Scripture, what they like to say is, well, it didn't really mean this. It kind of means this. And before you know it, you start to crack this door. And before you go, well, if that really didn't mean this way, and that really didn't mean this over here, before you know it, might as well throw the whole thing out. So the question that we have in front of us is this. Good days. What does a good day look like for a Christian? Okay, so at the end of the day, I would say, so what does a good day look like? How does this play out? And so here's the question I would say. Most of us would say if you had a really, really good day for a Christian, probably late into the evening, you would be still singing songs and praising God, right? If you had a really good day, like you'd be just, by the end of the day, you probably wouldn't be able to fall asleep. You'd at least be home by 10 o'clock, right? Because nothing good happens after that. But you'd be at home singing and praying and glorifying God, right? Well, we have some people that had such a phenomenal day that that's what they were doing. If you could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Verse 25, and at midnight, two guys were praying and singing hymns to God. 
All right, and we see these two guys. Who are these two guys? Paul and Silas, right? What were they doing at the end of a really great, awesome day that they had? They were singing songs and praising God. Well, let's find out what type of day they had. Go back to verse 16 of Acts 16. So they were in the place and they were praying. They met a slave girl. I'm going to summarize here real quick. She was a fortune teller. She cries out um, the truth that these men are the God, these men are the servants of the Most High, proclaiming the way of salvation. They kept, she kept following them. Paul gets annoyed. He turns around, commands the evil spirit to get out of her in the name of Christ. The evil spirit comes out. The owners all of a sudden saw they couldn't exploit her for gain, so they get angry at Paul and Silas. What do they do? They drag them before the magistrates. The magistrates, in verse 22, the crowd attacks them. They tear their clothes. They give them orders to, to not do this again. They beat them with rods. They inflict them with many blows. They throw them into jail and put them in stocks. And what do these guys do? They're living their best life. Because what are they doing at the end of the day? Glorifying and praising God. And just to make sure I haven't overstepped, what was David doing in the cave? Is he living his best life? Earthly speaking? No. Eternally speaking, what are these guys doing? In the midst of all of this heartache, in the midst of all of this struggle, this conflict that's going on, their eyes are focused on God. They are living through the Holy Spirit's power and strength. And so all of these things that are the natural things that happen, they have turned from them. Why? Because they're following after God. Because here's the thing on the, if you, for us list people. The biggest thing we need to remember is if our eyes are focused on Him and Him alone, we will live an obedient life because it will come naturally. These are things you just will do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has empowered you, has changed your desires and your things away from the things of this world to God and God alone. So literally the question in front of us is, what did we learn today? What is, what's going on here? What does it mean to live a blessed life? A blessed life is one that rests completely in the hands of a sovereign, all-wise God. Living a blessed life is one that rests completely in the hands of a sovereign, all-wise God. A blessed life is not someone who's trying to make themselves acceptable enough to live in the hands of a sovereign, all-wise God is one who rests and trusts completely in the hands of a sovereign, all-wise God. And only from there, only from that place and that place alone are we able to bless our enemies and turn from evil. Why? Because God has changed our hearts, as Philippians 2.13 reminds us, both, He changes us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. So what must we do? The Word of God must dwell in us richly. And as the Word of God dwells in us richly, the Holy Spirit takes the Word, which is the power, and changes our lives from one glory to the next. Because many of us, if we're not careful, as I said before, the list people, and we talk about this all the time, we, we love to, to pull out the list. We love to start to say, all right, have I done this? And because... When we look at 1 Peter here, you could go, all right, so have I kept from evil? Have I done this? Am I pursuing peace? And I would argue as you pursue after Him and Him alone, by allowing the Word of God to dwell in you richly, these things will come forth. These will be natural outworkings of the Spirit's work in your life. So, Christian, I would uh, implore you, Rest in Him and Him alone 
rest in the word. And as the word starts to take hold of your heart and your mind, it will be the thing that fuels you. But what happens is this, where it's, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's all these things, is when we say to God, you don't have it figured out, I've got it, let me worry about it, let me struggle about it, let me wrestle with it, and then I'm going to give it back to you. And God says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I Take my yoke upon you, because it is easy. Not take my yoke upon you, because you've got a whole lot of other laundry lists that you need to do. No, he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. But what Satan loves to do is to try to take these, all of these things here and make him just go, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be right enough. You're never going to be this. And you know what our response to that is? You are right and so far more, but we have a greater Savior. And we look to him, not to ourselves. Because if you look to your own heart, you look to your own self to be the Savior, you will find in the end only misery and heartache and sorrow. There's so much more that Peter's going to expose and bring to us in our minds. But I would, again, encourage you, as you read the Word of God, and as you take time to be in the Word also, with that same filter, filter the influences that are influencing you. Understand that music and all the other things that come with you have a massive impact on your sanctification and your growth. So as you're listening to these things, feast on things that bring life and bring biblical conviction and bring biblical truths that help mold and shape you because these things are the things that God uses to renew our minds. So let's pray. Dearly Fathers, we stand before you. We stand amazed that, that you would even incline your ear to the righteous. Dearly Father, help us to flee from evil by your Spirit's power. And dearly Father, may you and you alone be our, be our light and be our guide. We ask these things in your Son's name we pray. Amen.